The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Right. So good evening. I'm happy to be here uh, with you all this evening. And I want to start by just uh, reading something from the Udana. And the word Udana, it just means exclamation. Or I've heard a, a, a translation, inspired utterance. So there are these stories, little, just two or three paragraphs, short little stories of the Buddha and, you know, someone comes to him, something happens, and then he's inspired to, and to give his a little saying, and that's the Udana. So I'll start with, I just have a couple here I want to share. Whatever an enemy might do to an enemy, or a foe to a foe, the ill-directed mind can you do to you even worse. Whatever a mother, father, or other kinsman might do for you, the well-directed mind can do for you even better. So I'm just going to read it one more time. So, Whatever an enemy might do to an enemy, or a foe to a foe, the ill-directed mind can do to you even worse. He's saying our own minds can do to ourselves even worse. So it's an invitation. You know, we don't have to take this just because these words are put in the mouth of the Buddha. It's an invitation to look into our own lives and our own experience. How much of our suffering is created by our own minds? A lot, right? Whatever a mother, father, or other kinsman might do for you, the well-directed mind can do for you even better. There's an image I often use. Some of you may have heard me use this image, and it's the image of a circle. So imagine a circle with yourself at the center of the circle. And then whatever size, the, however big the circle is, that it contains all the experiences in our lives for which we're able to be present with in a way that we don't get entangled, we don't get caught, we're not buffeted around, pleasant, unpleasant, whatever it is. We're able to bring a, uh, a non-reactive presence, an open-heartedness to that. And then if an experience either is too strong or it's of such a, quality that it it's expands it's outside the edge of our circle then those are experiences that are that are too much for us and we're not able to meet them in a way except with some kind of struggle or suffering right and so we all have an edge and we can all look at plenty of experiences um, which you know they come and go and we're, we're we can let go around them and then there are plenty of experiences it's not hard to think of it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We all have plenty that really, they're outside our circle. And one way to think about um, all these practices that we do in our tradition is, is you can think of it as expanding that circle so it gets bigger and bigger. So it contains just more, all the stronger ups and downs, 
more of our experience and we can still rest at peace. Right? And maybe you could, I suppose, um, consider perhaps a Buddha. For a Buddha, maybe there's no edge. I don't know, but uh, certainly in our tradition, it points to uh, that our suffering is caused by our own minds. I want to be very respectful, and I I don't know if I'd go quite that far, because there are a lot of... I don't know anyone uh, who uh, claims to be to a place where um, there's no effect by any circumstances you know so we want to be very respectful and empathetic and compassionate for ourselves and for others that we've all got an edge and so um you know there are experiences that are just going to be too much for us and we just can acknowledge that right and when something's too much the instruction isn't well just be present with it the instruction is if you can bring down the intensity or get away from it or make a change or make a shift, right? And we don't always have the luxury to do that. And if it really is too much for it and we're us and we're not able to make a shift, then that really is a lot of suffering. And that's where we need a lot of compassion because we'll all have those aspects in our lives, every one of us, whatever the circumstances are. So we want to acknowledge that. And what I want to focus on tonight is the part where let's just, maybe if I don't say all of our suffering, a lot of our suffering is caused by our own minds. Let's just put it that way. And so, again, it's an invitation. We don't have to, just because it's written in the book and ascribed to the Buddha, uh, uh, it's an invitation to look for ourselves and notice uh, what's going on in any given moment and how are we relating to what's going on. And one of the things that can happen in practice over time is that we can start to make shifts so that our well-being is not totally uh, dependent on the nature of the experience, but at least to some degree and more and more over time, it becomes how are we relating to whatever's happening, right? And we find a way to shift our relationships with things uh, and... um, things that used to be troublesome. Maybe, maybe the situation hasn't changed, but our ability to relate to it can shift, for example. So I think that's the idea of just wanting to start to look, and hopefully we've all, you know, this isn't new information, but, um, you know, sometimes we get so caught in things and so reactive, and when things aren't going our way and... Um, um, It's hard sometimes just to stop and just go, okay, wait a minute. What's just happening right now? What's going on? What's my external uh, experience? What's going on in my body? Let me check in. What's going on with my mind? And just to stop and check in and start to notice what's going on in our own minds. Right? And I'm not saying that's always easy to do, but it's an interesting place to start to uh, pay attention. And so that's a lot of what these practices are. So I'll just read one more quote, also from the Udana. When this is, that is. From the arising of this comes the arising of that. 
When this isn't, that isn't. From the cessation of this comes the cessation of that. You know, that may seem a bit uh, nonsensical, but it's actually quite profound. So um, let me just read this one also one more time. When this is, that is. In other words, it's saying, it's just stating the obvious that everything, all experiences, all things arise, happen due to causes and conditions, right? They don't just come for no reason. The cause may not be uh, obvious to us. We may not know, but everything comes from some cause. So, and, and it's so again, this can seem nonsensical because it's just sort of like saying the sky's blue. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, it's like, of course, things come from causes. But wait a minute. We need to reflect on this instead of a bit. So let me just read it, the whole thing. When this is, that is, from the arising of this comes the arising of that. Things just happen due to some cause. When this isn't, that isn't. From the cessation of this comes the cessation of that. The reason I think that that's important and worth pausing on instead of just glossing over it and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, of course that's true. Say, well, wait a minute. Let's go back to the first quote that was inviting us to look to, and see how much of our suffering is created in our own minds. If things happen due to causes and conditions and we actually bring some awareness and some consciousness and some intentionality to, to that fact, now we can start to, uh, we may not know how to do it, but at least hold the possibility then that if we can cultivate the right conditions that will give rise to a less reactive mind, for example, or a more open heart, that's what we start to tend to because things happen due to causes and conditions. Who knows how we all got the condition patterns that we have in our lives? I mean, sometimes we do know part of the reasons, but you know, We've all got, I call them uh, our top ten tunes, but they're the, 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 and we share a lot in common, but of course we're all, we're all different, and, um, but we won't do this tonight, but we could go around and people could say, well, the main ways I suffer is, uh, uh, like I'll just share, a few, this was mine, um, uh, not so operative anymore, but when I was younger, around uh, a strong self-esteem issues, and of course that that can take many, many forms, but so I'll just won't get into the details, but uh, very profound issues around self-esteem and also um, some, some despair. And, you know, I, I mixed in with a little, uh, you know, my mother never loved me kind of stuff or what, she actually did love me, but, you know, just whatever my wounds were. <laughs> so uh, those came due to some causes and condition. That was some of my top 10 tombs, ways that my mind created suffering. And uh, we each have our own and everything. So we have these certain conditioned patterns of mind. And, I, um, and we can create a lot of suffering for ourselves, not only the suffering that comes from the pattern, but the judging of ourselves, the beating ourselves up, the being unkind to ourselves. This may not be operative for you, but in a group this size, what, there are 50 or 60 of us here, plenty of us have that. I, I just have enough experience to know statistically. Some of us will add a whole other layer of suffering on. So we can start to shift that attitude and realize that okay, we, we have certain condition patterns happen, you know, for 
got them, however. And they're just uh, little computer programs, right? And also, uh, you know, you can use an image of, you know, you, you pull up your computer and there's the different icons on the screen and you click on the whatever it is, the icon to open up a certain app you like and what's it going to do? It's only going to do one thing. It's going to run that app every time. So if you click on, I'm old school, I don't even, now it's Google Sheets I found out. And that's actually pretty cool where, you know, I can type and somebody else is typing. I'm just so, back in my day it was like Microsoft Excel and Word and that's that's what I know. So um, if you click on the icon for Microsoft Word, you're never going to get an Excel spreadsheet. Never. Because what does that icon do when you click on it? It only is programmed to do one thing, run Word. So if my self-esteem, whatever kicks it off, well, that's, that's that condition pattern, that little program. It only knows how to do one thing. So whatever, it's not personal. I mean, it, it is personal because it's happening to me, but um, it's impersonal in that it's just the icon got clicked and it's running off its pattern. I think it's real. We get fooled by these mind states that come and go. We don't see them clearly what they are. It's just patterns. When you start to see them for what they are, it doesn't mean we don't have the feeling of them or it's not uncomfortable or whatever. But uh, we start to see their conditioned patterns. That when, when this, because of this, this arises. When this isn't there, that doesn't arise. We can start to shift the conditioned patterns. That's what this uh, part, one way to think of all these, this meditation and other kind of trainings of our hearts and minds that happen, right? And um, big shifts can happen very quickly sometimes. It can be very dramatic. But also these shifts tend to happen for, for so many of us, it, it's... It's, there's been a lot of momentum. You know, we've had a whole lifetime of, you know, we're always practicing something, by the way. You know, we talk about practice. We use this word practice, meditation practice, Dharma practice. We're always practicing something. If you had never heard of Dharma or meditation or trying to bring some mindfulness or awareness to yourself or your, your life, you're still uh, reinforcing certain patterns, if you're just being unconsciously, habitually reactive, that's the pattern you're reinforcing. So you're practicing that. So we've all had a lifetime, and if you believe the, um, the uh, Buddhist cosmology, the traditional cosmology, you don't have to believe that, any of that, but lifetimes of developing these patterns, they run deep. And you know, if you've got one of these giant oil tankers, and it's going across the ocean and it's as long as, how long are they? Like several football fields long. They're huge. And they're filled with oil. They're really heavy. Once that thing gets going, it's got a lot of momentum in a certain direction. Well, if you're going to turn, you've got to start planning way ahead. Right? You don't just turn that thing because it's got all the momentum. So maybe you plan whatever, hours, a day, I don't know what ahead. And you know when to start turning the rudder so that slowly 
it'll probably be hard, but get the momentum shifted around in the new direction and then to get you on course. And once you're on new course, you've got all the momentum going in that direction. But it can be hard to shift when there's a lot of momentum there. So we have to know that. It can be, not always. And so um, same thing when we want to shift these conditioned patterns in our minds. Right? It's, it's not always uh, easy. Or, right? And the same patterns seem like they're still holding on. Um, and I think it was the Dalai Lama uh, who said, you know, if you're going to judge your practice... This is a tricky area about judging our practices, but I think he meant, hopefully he meant with wise discernment when he said judging, not the, the negative, critical, unhelpful kind of judge, suffering generating judging. But if we're going to uh, judge our, or evaluate our practice, he says do it in five or ten year increments. That doesn't mean nothing happens for five or ten years. It, it, there's no timeline. We're all individual but the point is, I'll just use my example about uh, the self-esteem that I'd used. Well, um, you know, when I was in my late teens and in my early 20s, uh, it was a lot of suffering. And I didn't know if I would ever be able to disentangle from, from that. And then over the years, um, it was like decades later, I kind of looked back. And it's like, oh, yeah, I used to have it's just like evaporated. I'm, I'm not saying there's no... You know, when you have a certain, I don't know if wound is the right word, but certain condition pattern, unwholesome, unhelpful, I should say. I don't know if you get to the point where, as if you never had that, that particular top ten tune ever, but not much. It's kind of gone. What happened? I look back now, so definitely some psychotherapy was helpful, no question about that. But um, I really feel like it just came from Dharma practice. Um, so we don't always see what's going on when you come and you come to sit and meditate. And, uh, you know, it's one thing when you sit and meditate and you can go, in, uh, uh, you know, we can enter these deep meditative states that we keep hearing about and we can be all, can be very pleasant and healing and and um, but also for many of us, we're wondering if that's ever going to happen, or what are they talking about? And it's hard to sit and be present with ourselves. And there's, we're just learning how to sit and be with something, and just that can be hard. Just be with our breath, or just sit still and be quiet for a little while. It can be hard, right? Many forms and many manifestations that come from these meditation practices, but they do have a healing uh, and a resourcing. Uh, benefit that happens right? and there's something called purification of mind that happens and so um, patterns can shift sometimes we're consciously putting our attention on on shifting these patterns and sometimes it just we don't know how it happens over time right? so um, I want to say a little bit about then if we if we come to the conclusion for ourselves that um, there are patterns in, in our hearts and our minds that um, there are areas of challenge that we have or suffering or, you know, we all come to meditation practice for some reason. Sometimes people don't know why. They're drawn to it. They've never really articulated it and that would be fine. You just kind of are drawn to it or maybe you heard it might be helpful. Or for some of us, we have specific things we're dealing with. Chronic pain or, you know, psychological, mental, emotional challenges or 
we just want more peace or, you know, it could be many, many reasons we're drawn to practices such as meditation. Um, so it's fine if we, if we don't um, know the reason specifically. It may just be a vague sense. Um, but we have some reason. And then if we realize that there are, what we're really doing is shifting conditioned patterns. There's one way to think about it. It's not the only way to, to talk about what happens in Dharma practice. So then what are we doing? If we were to go around and check in this group, we're not all doing the same practices. Probably, right? Some, some of us will be doing mindfulness of breathing meditation. That's been my practice for almost 50 years in my practice. Mindfulness of breathing. Uh, others are doing kind of loving kindness practices. Mindfulness of the body practices. Paying attention to what's going on in your mind. Just trying to be present in some way. There are so many techniques and methods that we can talk about. And sometimes people can get quite attached to their technique or method. Um, that's okay. Um, but um, I wouldn't... Let's not get too caught up in the technique or method. It's like, what are we aiming for? If we know what we're aiming for, turns out we're all different. And there's not one best practice or method or technique that's going to get you there the best for everyone. Right? It's like if you were... Um, I don't know, you're uh, not a golfer, but say you wanted to learn how to play golf. And so uh, you go to the driving range, the golf center, and there's the teacher comes and they say, okay, hold it like this, and you're holding like this. And they try to teach you to start swinging the club. They're going to give a different um, suggestion depending on what's needed. For some person, they may be, they're slouching over. And what they need is to learn how to, I don't know, get their back in the right posture. For somebody else, they tend to crook the club funny and they have to learn. It's a different instruction. And so it turns out uh, there's no one right best practice that's going to help us um, cultivate these qualities of our hearts and minds that we want to get to. There's many, many different techniques and practices. And so a lot of what uh, meditation teachers I hope are doing, should be doing, is working with people to help them find the best practice for them. I don't, want, I don't have time to get into that tonight, but whatever your technique or the method, that whatever you do, I would say that all of these practices are aiming to cultivate a few main qualities. And then anything that generates these qualities I'm going to mention it would, would be good. So um, a few of the qualities I'll mention is the benefit in, of course, we talk a lot about mindfulness. That's one that you know, gets talked about over and over. And by mindfulness, it gets defined many, many ways, but it just means I, I have my own definition, which is just um, uh, not being lost on automatic pilot. Right? Sometimes people will say... Um, you know, you lost your mindfulness, you, you went unconscious. That's that kind of a way of speaking you'll hear. But you didn't, we know what they mean, but you didn't actually go unconscious. You're conscious. You just got lost and caught up in what's happening. And there's a real difference if you kind of wake up out of that, I don't know if it's not really a trance, but kind of the trance of things. You're not so entangled in something, and you're able to just know. 
You know, it's really, it's one thing to be angry and caught and reactive. And it's another thing just to know, I'm angry. You may or may not still be able to make a choice in how you act because if the energy of it's very strong, it can have, that's a, you know, well, we might need other interventions, but at least we know what's happening now rather than just being lost in it. So that's kind of, you know, just being aware. Very simple. So that, that's a quality. Um, the quality of steadying our minds. Sometimes you'll hear the word concentration. Um, I, uh, the word is samadhi in, in Pali and Sanskrit. I, I, th- I think concentration is a, a, a bad, ter- ter- we're stuck with it. Everybody uses it. And the, the old translators, they didn't ask me my opinion, but um, the word connotation, concentration has many connotations that can uh, maybe not serve us well. But as long as we know what we mean, but it just, the real word samadhi means just your mind's undistracted. So you can know what's happening in a, in a moment, but you can still have a mind that's jumping all over the place and just can't be steady and present. So when the mind starts to settle, that's a quality that can serve us well if we can cultivate it. Right? So the mindfulness, the steadiness of mind, the undistractedness, if we want to call it the concentration, is good. We talk about insight because what happens if we're uh, if our mind is steady and we have a mindful presence there, we start to become more aware. You know, maybe I didn't realize I used to have self-esteem issues to the level or whatever it is, and all of a sudden, as I connect in with myself more on levels I hadn't touched before, things start to become. You know, the the, the light of awareness illuminates things more. Maybe, for example, and then things can sometimes just kind of evaporate and kind of self-liberate or, or maybe it'll show the way where there's more work needed to be done. So we talk about steadying our minds, mindfulness, the insights, and there's all the qualities of the heart. Loving kindness, compassion. So I would say um, there's probably many other ways we can, um, qualities we can talk about, but in the service of shifting the conditioned patterns and hopefully ultimately freeing ourselves from the conditioning at all. Uh, these are some main qualities that, that we're really, this is why we talk about these qualities, steadying our minds. And then we pick some practice that we want to do. We do something, whatever it looks like in daily life, maybe we do some formal practices, whatever, and we start to look to see what results we get, yeah? And it's a kind of a built-in feedback system because it doesn't actually matter what uh, you choose to do. If you're not clear, you know, maybe you read a book and it says meditate like this and you try it out. Or some teacher told you how to meditate. That's fine, you just do it. And um, if it's not a good practice for you, um, you'll find out because you'll be bumping up against it. It doesn't feel... You're just not drawn to it. It's not working. Or you give it some time and then you check out some other practice or something. Maybe you're drawn to something else. And over time, uh, with experience, we learn what works. And more and more, we start to learn to trust our own inner knowing of, what, of the way. And over time, it's not so much an external teacher. It becomes more internal because we, we, with experience, right? Like anything with experience, we know. So... Um, um, the last thing I want to say, so I was just trying to just touch in on like why we do these practices and 
kind of what it's aiming for. Um, you know, I don't come here often, so many of you, you know, I don't really know many people here, so I don't, you know, we're a mixed group. Um, the one other thing I just want to add, and then I'm going to stop, and there'll be some time if anybody has any questions or comments. We can, we can do that in the last few minutes. Uh, we only have about 15 minutes until we end. I think one of the most important, the two most important things that I can think to offer, that's all I'll give for, and you can see, hopefully it's helpful for you. If not, let it go. One is ease and relaxation in this process. I know that's not always easy, right? But um, um, the best you can, you just do the best you can. Try to relax. What is it that supports you to relax your body? If you can figure it out, do that. Bring ease in your body. Even something as simple as sitting in a chair meditating, like I'll hear teachers say, and this is fine, I'm I'm not criticizing any teacher, don't sit back against the chair. Sit up out on the edge so you have to hold your back up. All right? That's fine if you want to do that. That's not what I would tell you to do. Get up there against the back of that chair. Let's support your back. Why sit there hold yourself up? Get your back back up against there, if it feels right. And then relax your body. You have an upright, you're supported, relaxed body. That's an example. Find what gives you most ease in your body, most ease in your mind. You do the best you can. Try to relax. Remember, there's no place, there's not a competition, and there's no, we talk about concentration, but there's no amount of concentration that you've got to get. We just want to start aiming in a certain direction. That's, that, that's, it's just our intention, right? Or mindfulness or insight or loving kindness. Uh, it's okay if... You've got a grouchy heart and mind and it's not that kind. It doesn't feel good and you want to work on it. That's what we're working on. That's the conditioned patterns. Who knows how you got your grouchy mind? We've all got whatever we've got. You have a grouchy mind. All right. It's okay. That, you know, it's that little computer program, right? We just have to see, oh yeah, that's, it's a pattern that got in there. So next time the They click on the icon and the grouchy mind starts. You know, you can just, you don't have to listen. You can like, you know, (laughs) pat it on the head and thank it for sharing. And then just kind of, you don't have to get entangled in it, right? So ease and relaxation the best you can. And then the other thing is staying in touch with our intention, our good intention. Um, In case you haven't noticed... And I don't know if there's anybody, there's a couple, two or three people here I've known for a long time. There's no one here I know well. But I feel confident, I hope this isn't hubris, I feel confident in saying that um, every one of us are going to screw it up and fall flat on our face a thousand more times. You're going to get reactive and you're going to do something that causes suffering for yourself and or for others. We know ahead of time it's going to happen. So you already know it's going to happen. Stay in touch with your good intention because even when that happens, even if you really mess it up, you need to go clean your mess up. 
And sometimes, depending on what we do, some messes aren't as easy to clean up as others. So that's a whole, that's when we really need a lot of compassion. So that's a whole, I'm not getting into all that, and I'm recognized that that's a, I don't want to trigger anyone off here, that's a big topic. But just to know that we're human beings, we're doing the best we can, and, by the way, you may not realize that, that you're doing the best you can. This is another thing I can... By definition, we're all, everyone here is doing the best you can. I know some people go, no, no, I'm not doing the best I can. You don't understand, I'm too lazy. I'm, no, no. If you could do better, you would. You want to know what the best you can looks like? Looks like this. But that's not meant to be, oh. <laughs> it's meant to be, yeah, and you know what? I do get sucked into whatever. You know, too many World War II movies or whatever it is <laughs> when I could be meditating or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you know. It's okay. It turns out the best we can is enough, even if we judge it not to be uh, very good. It's an amazing thing. You know, if you wanted to learn to play the piano and maybe you've never played any musical instrument, you had no skill. Isn't it true that if you had a teacher, you just got a book, and you started kind of plinking around on the keys a little bit, the next thing you know, you could play a simple tune. And depending on how much you wanted to put into it, you could gain some skill, be able to play. Starting with no ability whatsoever, none. You don't have to know how to do it, and you don't have to know how to do this Dharma practice. You don't have to be any better than you are. It's good news, I think. And then we just bring the best we can. It's enough. It really does start to shift. It's that oil tanker starts to kind of lumber its way around and get the momentum going in a new direction. So, but we judge ourselves by how well or poorly we think we're showing up or doing it. And if you're going to, you know, the, the Buddha, um, there's this uh, term in Pali, uh, you don't have to know Pali, but this one term called manas, and it's translated as conceit. <clears throat> and it's an interesting quote the Buddha says, you know, if you think you're better than someone else, that's conceit. But then it gets interesting. If you think you're um, less than someone, and if you think you're equal to someone, that's conceit too. Yes, which is very interesting. Well, what is he po- getting to? It's kind of a, because the word conceit has a different connotation, you know, in, in everyday usage. What, it, what he's pointing to is trying to get us to step out of the whole paradigm of how am I doing in comparison to others? You know, it's an interesting experiment if you've never done it. Just to notice what percentage of your thoughts are some version of how am I doing? Am I okay? Am I going to be okay? How am I comparing? Uh, uh, will I be okay? What am I going to do to be okay? And it's all just kind of strategizing. Where it, it, for many people, it's a lot. And we can get judging everything by that. If you're going to, so the, the, the Buddha suggests we sort of step out of that judging and comparing, but if you're going to judge, if we're going to ignore the Buddha, and if we're going to judge ourselves anyway, a much more accurate way to assess yourself is not by how well or poorly you're doing anything. It's by your intention. 
you wouldn't show up to a group like this if you didn't have a sincere intention. Right? You wouldn't. So for some people, um, it's hard to get in touch with their intention. And if that's a problem, come up and talk to me. It's, it's not hard to get in touch with your intention. We all have good intentions. I know we've got some intentions that aren't, aren't always so wholesome too. Well, that's part of the, just a condition pattern. Every one of us have very sincere intentions too. And just because we've got unwholesome patterns doesn't negate our good intentions. So it's worthwhile spending time to consciously connect with your intention Right? So then it's, it's readily accessible because, you know, in Buddhism there's a lot of talk of freeing ourselves from our suffering and, uh, which means we have to come to know our suffering and the causes of it. But we should spend an equal amount of time getting in touch with and really becoming intimately familiar with everything that's good and right and beautiful in us because we need access to that too. So it's worth spending time Reflecting on intention, if you don't do it. You may want to just every day take a little time connecting. It may be a vague sense. You may not know. You don't have to articulate it very, you know, clearly. Right? And just to know that, uh, again, staying in t- ease and relaxation through this process the best you can. And then staying in touch with your intention the best you can. Let that be your guide. That's, that's my suggestion. What I found has been helpful for me. Through all the ups and downs. There's so many ups and downs, right? But our intentions, I bet for most of us, are are really our goodness. And you can ask yourself, do I want to... Here's the way I think of Dharma practice. Um, This is just my own. I'll just share it with you. I'm not saying this has to be for you. Learning to live in a way that creates less suffering for myself and others and creates more well-being for myself and others. Simple. That's a pretty nice intention. That's a good intention. I think it is. It is a good intention. It feels good when I connect. I really do want to create less suffering. I mean, for myself, but for others. I care about that, and I really do want to create more well-being in the world. You can find your own. So then when I do fall down and screw it up. I can feel the remorse, the healthy remorse. Don't overdo it and beat yourself up. And and then I can try to clean up the mess and I can get back. You know, I really do want to live in a way that's... And then I can reconnect with my intention and get up and carry on. So, anyway. Um, Well, I hope that's been useful. I appreciate your kind attention. Well, I went a little longer than I thought. It's five minutes to nine, and we want to respect the time. So let's do this. Um, Maybe we have time, depending on one, maybe a couple, if there are some questions or a comment, we could take just a minute or two, or you won't have much time. I'm sorry, I just lost the time. Uh, Yes. Well, this is just a definition question. Uh, Richard, what's the difference between samadhi and samatha, calm abiding? Uh, they sound like almost the same thing. <clears throat> right. Well, that takes a whole day. <laughs> so what I would say is the word samatha, so people mistakenly, well, it shouldn't be mistaken, it's okay, you have to choose. 
maybe I'll sell some books. Thank you. <laughs> if you really want to know, you've got to buy my book called The Experience of Samadhi, and that's what the whole thing is about. But in our tradition, people use this word samatha, which actually means tranquility, and samadhi, and they get conflated a lot. But what I would say is that because there's these two paths of practice, it comes out of this Vasudhi Maga, which was like evolved many centuries. The Buddha didn't talk like this, but it came centuries after the Buddha as the teachings evolved. And it came into these two paths. We have the path of insight and the path of Vipassana and the path of Samatha, which people say is concentration. And that's why sometimes they say two paths and people say, oh, if you're doing... If this doesn't... I'm just answering him, so this may not mean much to some of you. If you're doing concentration practice, oh, well, you can't do insight because you're on a different path. You know, they, people will talk like this. They think they're different things. Uh, samadhi actually includes tranquility, but has many more factors in there. Actually, right samadhi includes tranquility, mindfulness, insight, and all the qualities of the heart are right there. And the steady undistractedness. That uh, yoked all evenly together is right samadhi. So tranquility and that short was four things. Insight. Insight. Mindfulness. And um, I think the qualities of the heart too are all there. They come together. So if you if you look at the eightfold path, uh, you know the eighth element is not mindfulness. It's not insight. It's samadhi. Everything culminates in the right samadhi. So this, uh, this undistracted mind. And that's where it all comes together. That's helpful. It's a big topic. If, if, uh, <laughs> you don't have to buy my book, but, um, uh, <laughs> but I can point you to other resources if you want to know more about concentration and everything. Uh, that's good enough. That's yeah, great. but it may, it may have been a confusion generator for others who are wondering what the heck's he talking about. I, I had trying to do it in one, three minutes. So anyway, so, okay. That's a tough question at the end. All right. So, thank you. Um, let's do this to end. This is, uh, I'm sorry, has to be a kind of, I hope this is, this is a kind of an abrupt shift, but we just to respect the time. Um, this can be uh, very short. Um, I invite you... Um, it's going to be quite short (laughs) Uh, if you're not already doing so I invite you if you wish to connect bring your mindfulness into your body and into the states of your heart and your mind so just notice what's happening in your experience and I also invite you to notice not only what's happening but how are you relating to whatever is happening for you right now And if there's something going on for you that's challenging or difficult, unpleasant, for which it's not a, you're not able to really just be with it and let go around that, bring some acceptance to that place in you that, that can't let go around what's happening. Let that be. You know, just letting ourselves really be without the, the judging, the judgment is a tremendous act of compassion and kindness for ourselves.
And then finally to end. Through the power of our sincere intentions, our good, wholesome intentions, may we be inspired and uh, motivated to um, wholesome actions, to good actions. And through these good actions, may we, well, as we said earlier, may may we be a force in the world leading to less suffering, contributing to less suffering for ourselves and for others, and contributing to a force for more well-being for ourselves and for others. This is what the Buddha meant when he uh, encouraged us to become a light in the world. May all beings everywhere be happy. May all beings be peaceful. And may all beings everywhere come to an end of suffering. Thank you, everyone. I appreciated practicing with you and hanging out with you this evening.